0: As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu Nahuduhu wa nusalli ala rasulihil kareem Amma ba'udh fa'a'udhu billahi minash Rahim, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Rabbishrahli sadri wa yassirli amri Wahlul utlatan min lisani yafqahu qawli Rabbana zidna ilma So we were learning about Naumirrijali fil masjid The sleeping of men in the masjid Meaning is that permissible? Or not. Because some people, they regarded this as incorrect. Because the masajid, their primary purpose is what? Their function is what? For worship. They are built for the purpose of worship. And if a person goes to sleep over there, then that kind of defeats the purpose. And if one person is sleeping in the masjid, then that affects the worshippers over there. So this is the reason why some scholars, they discouraged sleeping in the masjid. However, when there is a reason, then it is permissible. Like for example, a person is there for a long time for the purpose of studying or for the purpose of worshipping and during that time he wishes to take a short nap, that is completely fine. Likewise, if there is a person who doesn't have a house or who doesn't have a family of his own and he happens to come to the masjid to take a nap, that is also permissible. As long as a person also performs salah over there, sleeping is permissible. Last hadith in this bab. Haddathana Yusuf ibn Isa, qala haddathana ibn Fudaylin, an Abihi, an Abi Hazimin, an Abi Hurayrat, he said, Ra'itu, I saw seventy min Ashab Sufati from the people of As Sufa. Ma minhum, there was not among them, Rajulun, any man, alayhi upon it, Rida'un irida', meaning. I saw seventy of the people of the Sufa and not even a single man amongst them had a cloak. Hmm? Then what did they wear? They had Imma Izarun, either an Izar, which is a waist wrapper, lower garment, wa Imma or Kisaun. Kisaun is like a long shirt, a sheet that is worn like a long shirt. So they either had Izar or they had Kisa. Meaning they didn't have two pieces of cloth. They had only one. One that was too small to just cover their waist and the area underneath. Or if it was bigger, then they would use it as a long shirt. That is all that they owned. And if it was a longer piece of cloth, kisa, then qad, in fact rabatu they had tied it فِي أَعْنَاقِهِمْ around their necks. فَمِنْهَا So from it, مَا يَبْلُغُ that which would reach نِصْفَ الساقين, half of سَاقَيْنْ سَاق is the lower leg, so the middle of the lower leg. That was the length of it. Meaning, the kisa that some of them would wear, and they would tie it around their necks, it would be long enough to come down all the way to the middle of the lower leg. Okay? Lower part of the leg. وَمِنْهَا And from it, ma يَبْلُغُ That which would reach al the ankles. Meaning some of them, they had longer sheets. So if they would wear it around their necks, it would come all the way down to their ankles. So he would gather it with his hands. Why? Why would he gather it and hold it in his hands? Out of dislike like and tura awratuhu, that his private part may be exposed. And this was a state of how many companions? Seventy companions. And who were they? They were Ashabus Sufa. Who were ashabu Sufa? The people who stayed at the masjid. If they stayed at the masjid, that means that they also Slept over there So this means sleeping at the masjid is permissible But there are many other things that we learn in this hadith Besides the fact that sleeping in the masjid is permissible The fact that the companions of the Prophet ﷺ Look at the struggles that they went through Amongst them, poverty Poverty is something that really discourages a person You know, it kind of shatters his confidence It's a big demotivator, you can say A person could be very, very enthusiastic about their work but when they suffer from poverty, then their greatest mission, even they're willing to leave it. Why? Because at the end of the day, you have to fulfill your needs. But we see that the companions of the Prophet wasallam they sacrificed their needs even for this great mission. And what was that mission? To be in the companionship of Muhammad wasallam. Because this is only one in a lifetime opportunity. You can never have this again. So they gave up everything. They had the potential to make money, but they gave up everything just to be in the companionship of the Prophet ﷺ. That is where they worshipped. That is where they learned. And they were the people who went with the Prophet ﷺ in the battles also. They were the foremost in everything. And they were also from the Muhajirin, primarily Muhajirin. They were not the locals of Medina. They were people who had come from outside of Medina, from Mecca and from various other tribes. They could easily live in their homes, but they gave up all of that to live with the Prophet ﷺ. And they suffered from so much poverty that they didn't even have enough clothes. Not even one of them possessed two pieces of cloth, a lower garment and an upper garment. They possessed only one piece of cloth, which was just enough to cover their awrah. If it was long enough, they would tie it around their necks, and this was especially in the salah. And in the salah, they would hold it with their hands gathering it up with their hands. Why? Out of fear that their awrah would be exposed. So this shows to us that during salah, if a person has this fear that their awrah may be exposed, then it is permissible to hold the garment in your hand. Like for example, if a woman has short sleeves on or something and she has a shawl on to cover up her arms as she is praying, and during the salah she realizes that if I let go, my arm might be exposed, for example, in raising up the hands, so she may Hold a part of it in her hand. But remember that this is not ideal thing to do, but it is permissible. Likewise this hadith also shows that men may wear garments that are long enough that reach their ankles even. What we know is what is below the ankle should not be there, especially when it's out of pride. Okay? But what is above the ankle, what reaches the ankle, that is permissible. Perfectly fine. Bab prayer ida when he comes when he advances min safarin from a journey meaning performing salah when a person comes back from a journey when a person returns from a trip then what should he do he should pray salah where in the masjid wa and he said who karb ibn malik karb ibn malik anhu he said kana nabiyyu sallallahu alayhi wasallam the prophet sallallahu used to what does it mean by kana Used to, that this was his habit. This was his habit that إذا qadima min safarin, when he would return from a journey, bada'a, he would begin bil masjidi from the masjid, meaning he would come to the masjid first. He wouldn't go home, he wouldn't go to the market, he wouldn't go to any person's house. The first place he would go to was the masjid. فصلى فيه, and then he would pray in it. When did Malik bin Malik say this? And who is carbon Malik, by the way? Now many of you have studied Surah At-Tawbah. Hmm? He was one of the three companions who stayed behind from the expedition to Tabuk. And in the long hadith, right, in which he has mentioned the entire story of how he stayed behind and of how how he suffered from the boycott, literally. So in that he had mentioned that when the Prophet ﷺ, whenever he would return from a journey... He would go to the masjid first, and when he was at the masjid, people started coming to him and presenting their excuses. So Karbun Malik, he was also advised to go and do something similar, but he refrained from that. So anyway, we see over here that this was the habit of the Prophet ﷺ. This was his usual practice. What do you think the wisdom is, or the reason is rather? Why would he go to the masjid? Long journey, not just of a couple of hours, sometimes months and weeks, several days. And he's going to the masjid And performing salah First thing he does The coolness of his eyes was in salah So that's something that comforted him That's something that relaxed him So this is the reason why he performed two raqar salah As gratitude to Allah right? Expression of thankfulness that We have come home safely To ask for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Special blessings on arriving home That basically When the Prophet sallallahu Established this norm that whenever people return from a journey, first they go to the masjid, then what would happen is that the news would spread very quickly. That such and such travelers are back. Okay? And then their family members at home, they would find out that, okay, this group of travelers is back. Our son or my husband or whoever was also in that group, so he is in the masjid now. He will be home shortly. So prepare before he comes back. So any preparations that the family had to do, they would have some time to do that. This is just like if you know that your husband or your father returns at a certain time, then you are prepared. And if you have no idea, then you're not prepared. Okay? And preparation doesn't mean that you have to have great food prepared for them. Sometimes it's just being mentally ready to welcome them. Because if somebody just walks in unexpectedly, then even though you love them, You're not too happy to see them So this is the reason why It was ease for the family members And back in in that time There were no cell phones No telegraph system either To inform the family at home That we will be here within a day or two So this is one of the main Hikmah you can say And also it shows The love that the Prophet ﷺ had for the masjid We learned that in Medina First thing he did When he migrated there was what? He built the masjid Right? And then every time he would come back home, he would go to the masjid first. حدثنا خلاد بن يحيى قال حدثنا قال حدثنا محارب دثار عن جابر بن عبد الله he said أتيت النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وهو في المسجد جابر بن عبد الله, he said I came to the Prophet and he was in the masjid. قال Misar the narrator he said أُرَاهُ I think he said it was the time of duha meaning when he arrived. فَقَالَ so the Prophet he said to who? Jabir bin Abdullah. صَلِّ رَكَعَتَيْن Perform to raka'a. Jabir said, لِي عَلَيْهِ دَيْنٌ and there was for me on him a debt meaning he owed me something. Okay. The Prophet owed me something. so then he repaid me. Zadani, And he gave me more, increased it for me. So the reason why he came was to ask the Prophet ﷺ for what he owed him. So the Prophet ﷺ told him, first you pray. After his prayer, then the Prophet ﷺ paid him, and he also gave him more. Do you know what this is referring to, which incident it is? What is it that the Prophet ﷺ owed to Jabir? The camel. Basically we learned that once the Prophet Sallallahu he was returning from a ghazwa. And Jabir bin Abdullah he was amongst the companions who were with the Prophet. ﷺ. And Jabir Abdullah Anhu, he was very poor, he had only one camel. Okay, and that camel was used for irrigation and working in the fields. And that same camel Jabir anhu, took to the ghazwa, and now he's coming back on it. So basically that camel was very, very slow. Okay, was walking very, very slowly. And the Prophet ﷺ he said, "What is the matter with you?" So Jabir radhiAllahu anhu he said, "My camel is slow and tired, so I am left behind." So the Prophet ﷺ got down from his camel and he poked the camel of Jabir radhiAllahu anhu from the back, okay, kind of like hit him, and he prayed for the camel. He hit him and he also prayed for the camel. So Jabir radhiAllahu anhu when he started riding his camel, it was walking so fast that he went ahead off. The rest of the people. So the Prophet ﷺ asked Jabir, Will you sell this camel to me? Jabir hesitated. Why? Because that was the only camel. And now finally, it was walking so fast. But it was the Prophet ﷺ who was asking, So how could he refuse? So he said, Okay, I will. And a price was set. A certain amount of gold was set. And Jabir said, But on the condition that I will ride this camel to Medina, I have to get back home. When I get back home, then you will get the camel from me. It is said the Jabir, he went earlier ahead of everybody. Why? Because he had just gotten married. And remember that incident? The Prophet ﷺ then asked him, that did you marry a young girl or an older one? Right. So he said that my father passed away, leaving behind a young daughter, so I married an older woman, so that she would take care of them. So anyway, this incident happened at this occasion. So Jabir, who went early. The Prophet ﷺ, he got to Medina. He went to the masjid. And when he was there, Jabir then came to the masjid to the Prophet. He hadn't been to the masjid yet. So when he came to the masjid, the Prophet asked him, Are you arriving now? He said, Yes, I'm coming to the masjid now. So the Prophet told him, Go pray first. So he went and prayed two rakah. And then the Prophet he had Bilal weighed the gold and gave it to Jabir. So he gave him the price for it. Jabir went back home. And the Prophet ﷺ sent for him. So he came again. And he was afraid that the Prophet ﷺ was going to return the camel. That he's going to say, give me my money back. I don't want this camel anymore. And it is said that Jabir ad-Dulaw'an, who hated that camel of his. Hmm? Obviously, if it's slow, then who would enjoy such a ride? But the Prophet ﷺ, he gave him the camel without asking for the money, without asking for the gold, saying that take the price for it, And the camel. Hmm? What a beautiful thing. That, first of all, Jabir, his father had passed away. He had just gotten married. He had so many sisters to look after. He sacrificed his desire, his comfort, for the sake of who? His family. He also participated in Ghazwa. So the Prophet he gave him his camel and some gold. This was the love that the Prophet had for his companions. Hmm? So anyway, Jabir رضي الله عنه, he said that he فَقَضَانِي وَزَادَنِي He gave it to me in full and he gave me more out of ihsan. But from here we learn that when the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم told Jabir رضي الله عنه, pray to rak'ah what does that show? That when a person returns home then at the masjid he should perform two rak'ah salat. And Earlier we learned that the Prophet ﷺ, this was his habit. okay, And here we see that he is telling a companion to do it as well. So what does this show? This was not something exclusively for him. This was his habit, yes. But he also told his companions to do the same. So just like that, we should also practice the sunnah. And you will see a difference. That when you come back to your city... If you go to the masjid, pray, you do wudu, you freshen up, pray your salah, you will be relaxed when you go home. Otherwise what happens, if you go home straight, you have so much work to do, so many things on your mind, especially women, right? Of course. right? As soon as you get home, you're just swarmed by the work that you have to do. So if you stop, pray first, it will calm you down, relax you. It gives you time to reorient yourself. So, develop the sunnah, inshaAllah. Practice the sunnah, inshaAllah. Baab, إذا دخلا المسجد فاليركع ركعتيني. إذا دخلا المسجد, when he enters the masjid ركعتيني, then he should pray to ركع. Earlier we learned when a person returns from a journey. Here we learn when a person goes to the masjid. For what purpose? Any purpose. Whether it is to pray salah, or it is to attend a gathering of knowledge Or it is to meet somebody Or it is to work with somebody Whatever it is When a person goes to the masjid What should he do? He should perform two rakah, salah Which salah is this? Tahiyatul masjid It is called Tahiyatul masjid What does tahiyyatul mean? Greeting So Tahiyatul masjid is greeting the mosque So when you go to the masjid You have to greet the mosque How? By saying salam? No by performing salah over there. Haddathana Abdullah <laughs> ibn Yusuf qala <laughs> akbarana malik an Amr ibn Abdullah <laughs> ibn Zubair, an Amr ibn Sulayman al Zuraqiyi, an Abi Qatadata al Salamiyi. Anna Rasulallah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qal, the Prophet sallam said, Ida dakala ahadukumul masjid. When one of you enters the masjid, fal yarqa then he should perform two raqa'ah. قَبْلَ before أَنْ يَجْلِسَ That he sits down. So when a person goes to the masjid, before he even sits down, what should he do? He should perform two rakar salah. What does it show? That you have a choice over here? What does it show? That it is important, very important. How important is it? Some said it is wajib. And others said that this is mustahab. And some said, this is sunnah mu'akkidah. Anyway, the purpose of tahiyatul masjid, like I said earlier, is to greet the mosque. Okay? It is to greet the mosque. How? With salah. When? Immediately upon entering it. In the dukhul Right? Immediately upon entering it, before sitting down, before doing any work. The first thing is, pray two raka. Why? Because masjid is built for what? Salah. That's the main purpose. So, when you go to the masjid, you have to fulfill that purpose. This is why the first thing you do at the masjid is pray. The first thing you should do is pray. Now, what if you go to the masjid and the fard salah is going on? Then, you pray tahiyyatul masjid and then pray? No, no. You will join the fard salah. Okay? Likewise, what if you go at a time when, let's say, you're going for zuhr salah and you have just enough time to pray your sunnah before the jamar begins so in that case should you pray tahiyatul masjid or should you pray sunnah sunnah why because the objective of tahiyatul masjid is still being met what is the objective the first thing you do is pray so whether it is fard or it is sunnah or it is nafl whatever it is you should pray something before you sit down before you do Anything Good question If the khutbah is going on Of Salatul Jumu'ah Then what do you do? You have to pray to Raqqa And then sit down Because khutbah is khutbah Okay Eventually there will be salah But you should pray to Nafl Before sitting down And what's the evidence for that? The hadith in which we learn Sulaykh Al-Ghattafani He came to the masjid on Friday When the Prophet ﷺ was giving the khutbah And he sat down Sulaykh he sat down the Prophet ﷺ stopped the khutbah and he said to him, "Osulayk, oh stand up and perform two rak'ah and make them short." This is reported in Bukhari and Muslim. So, when you go to the masjid, if let's say the adhan is going on, okay, then you can stand and wait for the adhan to, and okay, because you should respond to the adhan, make your dua, and then perform your two rak'ah and then pray whichever salah you have to. But if the khutbah is going on, that will go on for some time, and it will be followed by Salah So you need to sit down It is not correct that the khatib is standing And a person is standing in front of him So in that case he will pray two rakah And then sit down You cannot say if you have time to pray only four You pray two two You're going to a masjid or a musallah Why are you going to pray salah? Let's say you were out somewhere It's time for asr You only have enough time to pray your salah So what should you do? You have to pray Tahiyatul Masjid first And then perform your salah If you have the time Go ahead and do it But if you don't have the time Then you can just pray your Asr salah Why? Because you are going to pray Immediately Because in the hadith What do we see? Qabla An The objective is not to raqa. The objective is salah Before sitting down The objective is salah Before doing anything so whether that is fault or sunnah or nafl, it's okay. As long as it is some salah. The question is with regards to the forbidden timings. Meaning the time when a person is not allowed to pray. What are those times? After Fajr? After Asr. So in these two times, can a person pray tahiyyatul masjid or not? There is ikhtilaf, there is difference of opinion. Some scholars say yes and other scholars say no but we see that when it comes to these timings right for example if there is a person who has not been able to pray his uh, asr salah and there is just a few minutes left before maghrib is he going to pray asr yes because in the hadith what do we learn even if he can catch one rakah he should same thing for fajr okay so it means that praying salah in itself is not forbidden in those times Okay? Praying salah in itself is not forbidden in those times. This is why some scholars said that if a person goes to the masjid and he has to sit down to read Qur'an, to sit in a gathering of knowledge, then even if it's after Asr or after Fajr, what should he do? He should pray to rak'ah. Because what will take precedence over here? The fact that he is entering the masjid. And he has to greet the masjid. Just like when you have to catch your asr, that will take precedence. Okay, you will do that. So, just like that when you're coming to the masjid, okay, the hiyatul masjid will take precedence. So, that is what you will do. But remember that the hiyatul masjid is not an obligation, according to the majority of the scholars. So, if you are ever in such a place where you know that people will object, Okay, Like certain masajid you go You know that people will definitely object If you start praying Tahiyatul masjid At this time Then what should you do? Pray and create fitna? Should you do that? No You should not pray then uh, Go do something else Okay, Read Quran Read your du'as Because you should not create fitna Over these matters You know Imam Malik I believe He was of the opinion that uh, You should not pray Tahiyyatul masjid in these times If I'm not mistaken it was him And once he came to the masjid, it was that time, so he just sat down. So somebody told him, get up and pray. So he got up and prayed. Why? Because he didn't want to be of those people who, when they are told, pray, and they say, we don't pray. Okay? So even if you have a different opinion, but you don't want to create fitna. So avoid that fitna to the best of your ability. And remember, it is not a matter of fard and haram Okay, so don't be an extremist about these issues, take it lightly in the sense that don't make a big deal out of it, where you get the opportunity, pray, and if you don't get the opportunity, don't be too hard on yourself alright and remember the hadith of those three people who came to the masjid the Prophet was sitting with his companions one person came and sat you know, towards the front, another person towards the back and another person he went back so the first two who sat down we don't find out about them that they prayed and then they sat down they came to the masjid and they joined the halaqah it is not reported that they prayed their tahiyyatul masjid and then they sat down in the halaqah so what does it show? that it is not wajib it is mustahab it is sunnah mu'akidah but it is not wajib Al khairun for pointing that out That if a class is going on And you have to join the class That will take precedence over Sunnah That will take precedence over Mustahab So the best thing is that you come early You perform your Tahiyyatul Masjid And then you join the class Alright And if you have come late And you've missed the time to pray tahiyatul Masjid Then remember that Your commitment Which is a fadl, Will take precedence over That which is Mustahab Alright Insha'Allah. If you are traveling, you go to a masjid. Can you pray Tahiyatul Masjid? Yes, you can. It's nafil. And this is the reason why, when a person is traveling, he can perform such prayers. Okay. Uh, One more question: If a person goes to the masjid and he sits down, and then he remembers I was supposed to pray Tahiyatul Masjid, so what should they do? Get up and pray. If you forgot, it's okay, just get up and pray. Just like that man, Sulayk, he came, sat down, and the Prophet told him, get up and pray. So just because you have sat down doesn't mean you cannot pray anymore. You can still pray. Provided that you have the time. Bab Al hadathi Fil Masjid. Breaking wudu in the masjid. Meaning is it permissible or not? It is permissible to break wudu in the masjid. And now when it comes to Urination, obviously that is something that is not permissible in the masjid Because it will make the masjid dirty And we know from the hadith of the Bedouin okay, When he urinated in the masjid, the Prophet ﷺ advised him not to do that again Because the masjid is not built for such a purpose However, if a person is in the masjid and he passes wind Is that permissible or is that not allowed? Some scholars said that it is disliked It is disliked Others went to the extent of saying that it is haram Inshallah, we'll tell you the reasons why. But Imam Bukhari is proving over here that it is permissible to deliberately break one's wudu when he is in the masjid. Okay, It is permissible to do that, meaning it's not haram. However, a person should be courteous towards other worshippers and angels. And this by extension means that someone who does not have wudu can also enter the masjid. Meaning his case is different from a junub person. Junub. It's a different case altogether. But a person who doesn't have wudu, can they go to the masjid and sit there? Yes, they can. Let's say there's a halaqa going on, a class going on. Okay, you have to go attend that. You don't have wudu when you enter the masjid. Can you go join the class immediately? Yes, you can. You don't have to go do wudu and then enter the masjid. You can enter without wudu as well. Likewise, if you're sitting in the masjid, doing dhikr, reading Quran, sitting in a halaqa, and you break your wudu, is that wrong? No, it's not wrong. حدثنا عبد الله بن يوسف قال أخبرنا مالك عن أبي an عن الأعرج عن أبي هريرة أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم he said Malaika to the angels تصلّي على أحدكم They pray for one of you ما دام as long as he remains في in his prayer place الذي that which صلى فيه he prayed in it. Ma'alam yuhdith as long as he does not break his wudu. تقولوا, they say, meaning the angels say, Allahumma ghfir lahu, Allahumma O Allah, forgive him, O oh Allah, have mercy on him. So, what does this hadith show to us? The Prophet ﷺ said that when a person performs his salah and he remains sitting over there, so you said your salam and use. Continue to sit there. You do not get up. You do not go away. You do not talk to anybody. You continue to sit there. Doing what? Obviously remembering Allah. Then as long as you remain sitting over there, what will happen? The angels will continue to make dua for you. What dua? Allahumma اَغْفِرُ لَهُ If you sit for five minutes, those five minutes the angels are making these duas for you. If you sit for 15 minutes, the angels continue to make this dua for you. It's up to you basically However long you want to sit And you want the dua of the angels malam yuhdith As long as he does not break his wudu Meaning That when a person breaks his wudu Then the angels They stop praying for him Or If a person gets up Then the angels Stop making dua for him Now many times it happens That as soon as we Say our salam Immediately you want to get up and Either talk to people Or go or do something so, give yourself some time after salah. Just sit there. Force yourself to sit there. And sometimes we don't know what dua to make for ourselves. If you don't know, let the angels make dua for you. Let the angels make dua for you. And the dua of the angels. Is that a big deal? How? Hmm? Because it is accepted insha'Allah. In the Quran, what do we learn? وَلَا يَشْفَعُونَ إِلَّا لِمَنِ they do not do shafa'ah except for the one whom Allah is pleased with. So if the angels are making du'a for a person, that means insha'Allah that Allah is happy with that person. So as long as you remain sitting after Salah without breaking your wudu, for that entire time, imagine Allah is happy with you. Exactly. Yes. That especially after Fajr, sitting until the sun rises, and even otherwise during the day after any salah as long as a person sits there but obviously shaitan makes that time seem so long that we get sleepy or we remember so many other things to do but tell yourself 5 minutes 15 minutes you really experience this calmness when you sit after salah just peacefully doing your adhkar even it's 5 minutes it, it makes a difference huge difference so in this hadith what do we learn? The main reason why Imam Bukhari is quoting this hadith is, ما لم يُحْدِثْ Which means that if a person breaks his wudu', then the angels will stop praying for him. The Prophet didn't say, none of you should, you know, break your wudu' in the masjid. So this means that it is permissible to break the wudu' in the masjid. Why? Because sometimes a person doesn't have a choice, it's an urgent need, and he cannot control himself much. So, in that situation, remember that it is okay. However, a person must be careful. Why? Because the smell, it doesn't only annoy people, but it also annoys the angels. In the hadith we learned the angels are offended by the same things that offend the sons of Adam. So, this is the reason why a person should resist the urge or rather control it. And if there is a need, he should proceed towards the washrooms immediately. And the thing is that, from other hadith, what do we learn? That if a person has eaten raw garlic or onion, then he should not even go close to the masjid. Hmm? Why? Because that smell, it bothers people, it bothers the angels. And this is of what? Food that a person has eaten coming from where? His mouth. So how do you think it is okay that a person is passing wind and that smell is tolerated by the angels or by the people? So a person must be Careful about this matter as well, that in the masjid he should not take this matter lightly. And remember that it is permissible, however, it's not something that you can say is recommended. So a person must be careful. Yeah, definitely it shows the benefit of staying in wudu for as long as a person can, right? Especially after salah. That if there are certain foods that upset a person's stomach, causing him. You know, too much gas or something, then he should avoid that, especially when they're going to the masjid. Right? Because this will disturb him and disturb people who are around him and especially the angels. And remember that it is obligatory to keep the masjid free of offensive smells. Right? So anything that negates that should be avoided. Bab bunyan al-masjid. The building of the masjid. Which masjid? Masjidun Nabawi. Meaning, how it was built, how that was constructed, with what materials it was made. And Masjidun nabawi being an example for people. This means that when people are building their masajid, they should build it in a similar way. Similar way, I don't mean similar layout, similar materials, but the basic concept. Okay, inshallah we will learn about that. وَقَالَ Abu سَعِيدٍ And Abu Meaning Al-Khudri, رضي الله عنه, He said, Kana it was Saqf masjidi The roof of the masjid. Which masjid? Masjid al-Nabwi. It was made from Jareed al-Nakhli. Branches. Of what? An-Nakhl, date palms. So the roof of the masjid was made from what? Date palm. Branches. We read the word Jareed earlier as well. The hadith. When the Prophet passed by the two graves in which people were being punished. Twigs. I think broken pieces of date palm branches. Okay? And he put those on the graves. So Jareed. So the roof was made from Jarid al-nakhli. wa Amara, and he commanded who umar Umarhu anhu, Bibina al masjid. With the construction of the masjid. Meaning he reordered its construction. So in other words, he Ordered its renovation; it had to be rebuilt. Wa and he said, "Akinna an nasa min al Akinna, shelter. Who an the people from what min matar from the rain? Akinna, this is from the same root as the word kinan or aknan Akinna, they say that our hearts. Wa What is akinna? Covering. Okay, something that covers and wraps, so what is inside is sheltered. Okay, what is inside is protected. So he said, "Akin an min al matari, shelter the people from the rain." What does this mean? This means that make the masjid with such materials that when people are inside, they are sheltered from the rain. Not that they are being drenched, okay, in the rain. Rather, they should be comfortable in the masjid because they are there too. Worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَإِيَّاكَ And beware, meaning I warn you, أَن تُحَمِّرَ أَوْ تُصَفِّرَ That you color it red or that you color it yellow. Why? فَتَفْتِنَ nas, Because then you would put the people in fitna. Because these colors would be a trial for the people. How? They will distract them. Now basically we see that at the time of the Prophet wasallam, the masjid, it was built from Jareed النخل. At the time of Umar, Anhu, the masjid was reconstructed. And he gave certain instructions. What instructions did he give primarily to? First of all, أَكِنَّ min al-matar, Shelter the people from the rain. Put a solid roof on. Put a roof first of all. Put a ceiling. And that ceiling should be such that it should protect the people from the rain. What does this show? That the masjid should be made comfortable. Why? So that the people can perform salah easily over there. And comfort, how would you describe it? How would you describe it? What is comfort? Basically, if you think about it, comfort, it depends on the place, on the climate, and on what the people are accustomed to. Isn't it so? Like, for example, in this country, comfort means that you have heating. Comfort means that you have carpeted floors. Comfort means that you have enough light. Because if these things are missing, then how can people pray? They cannot be expected to pray easily in a place where there is no heating in winter, there is no carpet on the cold freezing floors, okay, and there is no electricity, because this is what the people are accustomed to. So piety would not be that the masjid is bare, there are no lights, there is no air conditioning or heating. No, this is not piety then. You have to see what is comfortable for the people Because inshallah as we will learn When he had the masjid reconstructed He expanded it and he also decorated it a little bit Why? Because that was what people were accustomed to by that time But in other places we see Having a carpeted floor or having heating and air conditioning This is not a necessity In many places But in certain places it is a necessity So it really depends on where the masjid is, who comes there to worship, and what are the needs of people. But the main lesson is that the masjid should be made comfortable for people, according to whatever they are accustomed to. Secondly, the second instruction that he gave was that do not color it red or yellow. What? Whether it's the ceiling or the walls or whatever it is. Why? Because it will be a trial for people as they will be distracted from prayer. So what does this teach us? What principle does this give us? That whatever is in the masjid, whether it's the paint, or it is the floors, or it is the decoration, or whatever it is, it should not be distracting. It should not be distracting. It should be as neutral as possible. Because sometimes people say, what a boring carpet, boring walls. It should be nice and bright, and there should be a pattern. Yes, we like these things, but in salah, we have to focus on Salah. So the more neutral it is, the better it is. Red carpet is very common, especially with the yellow patterns in it. You remember I mentioned to you earlier that it depends on what people are accustomed to. Again, when it comes to colors, colors are you know, very normal in the sense that everything is so colorful. So when people are used to seeing these colors everywhere all the time, then it doesn't distract them much in prayer. Okay, But some people do get distracted So they have to control themselves Then, right, Or they have to change their environment So these are the two principles that we learn Comfort and avoiding extravagance When it comes to decorating the masjid Can you apply this in your house? As well? Is this applicable in the house? Yes, definitely Because sometimes we think Making the house comfortable is extravagance It's israf No, it's not israf as long as it is making your life comfortable so that you can function well, you can work well, because people are very used to being you know, comfortable when it comes to the temperature. Okay? If it's too hot, people get very irritable. If it's too cold, again they're irritable. So it affects the, the behavior of a person as well. So you want to make the masjid as comfortable as possible. Okay. You will notice that if a masjid is overcrowded Or if it's too hot Or if it's too smelly Then what happens? Every little thing bothers you over there Doesn't it? And if it's calm and quiet and peaceful And the temperature is also really good Then you are also at peace So it affects a person وَقَالَ أَنَسٌ And Anas عَنْهُ He said يَتَبَاهَوْنَ بِهَا Avoid these colors Why? Because then people will boast about them. يَتَبَاهُونَ They will boast to each other. Over what? The colors. That each masjid, or the people of each masjid will say, our masjid is more beautiful than yours. Because it's more colorful. We have more patterns. We have more designs. So their focus will become what? Competition in beautifying the masjid. In adorning the masjid. ثُمَّ ذَنْ لَا يَعْمُرُونَهَا إِلَّا قَلِيلًا They will not inhabit it except a few. Meaning then, the main focus of the people will be on adorning the masajid and not praying salah in it. People will just boast about the fact that this masjid is so beautiful and this masjid is so up-to-date and they won't bother to pray. So the focus should be what? Salah and ibadah. And when it comes to decorating the masjid, that's of secondary importance. But sometimes what happens that we get so caught up in the material things, okay, that we forget the main purpose. For example, if there's a software that has to be designed, all right, and people pay a lot of attention to the colors and the layout and the font size and what should be put and what should be avoided. And they spend hours on this, getting feedback, Researching, and then finally, they have something very beautiful up on a softboard. Okay, they've spent hours on it, they've spent too much time on it. But what is written? Are you even applying it in your own life? Are you even following it yourself? Like, for example, if we're spending, let's say, 20 hours trying to make a beautiful flyer with a hadith of Dhul Hijjah, for example hadith about the importance of the hijjah We've spent so much time making it and we give it to people. But at the end of the day, if we're not implementing it ourselves, then what's the point of that? What's the point? So this happens that when we get overly concerned about the looks, then we forget the action. We forget self-improvement. All our focus is directed to what? Beautifying the apparent and we ignore the main thing it may be very beautiful but the content itself is meaningless, it's irrelevant or it doesn't make much sense or even if it makes much sense, that's not your priority because your priority is to make that flyer, that poster that softboard very very beautiful and you think that once you've made it very beautiful, you've done your job so then you don't have to act on it so this is exactly what happens with masajid there are masajid which are beautiful Beautiful, you know, maintained so well, so clean, so perfect. But there aren't many people who pray Salah in there. Because the people who've made that masjid, they think they have fulfilled their purpose by building that masjid and by keeping it clean and by hiring somebody who will yell at people if they walk in with shoes. This is what they think, that their mission is complete. Whereas what's the mission That people should come and worship Allah in the masjid. That if the money is taken from the community, donations are accepted, and they are spent only on beautifying the masjid, and not on benefiting the people, educating the people, then what use is that beautiful masjid? Because no matter how beautiful it is, eventually it will be finished. What will go with the people are their deeds. That masjid is place of sajda. And such is what? Putting your head on the ground. That should be the main purpose, not just beautifying the masjid and making it perfectly clean. I mean, that's necessary, but that should not be the goal. My husband was telling me that he visited a masjid uh, somewhere in North America. And he said, beautiful masjid. It looks like a museum, literally, when you walk in. And so well-maintained. But as soon as you walk in, and you think that shoes are allowed, because it's a courtyard, and as you would enter, then you would have shelves where you would leave your shoes. If you walk in with your shoes, immediately somebody will come yelling at you, humiliating you, humiliating you. And it doesn't matter whether you are there to teach a class, because you saw this happening to people who were there to teach a class. It doesn't matter who you are. You'll be yelled at, humiliated in public. Why? Because you're wearing shoes... Where you're not supposed to. But there's no clear sign either. And how many people go to that masjid to pray? Hardly any. Who comes to the masjid? Visitors who just want to see how beautiful that structure is. What a beautiful piece of architecture it is. So it defeats the purpose of the masjid, right? So أنا وعنو, He said, يَتَبَاهَوْنَ بها. If your focus becomes red and yellow color, Then people will just boast about the masjid. ثُمَّ لَا يَعْمُرُونَهَا إِلَّا قَلِيلًا وَقَالَ ابْنُ عَبَّاسٍ And Ibn Abbas رضي الله عنه said لَتُزَخْرِفُنَّهَا Surely you will definitely decorate the masajid. Hmm? From the word زخرف, كَمَا زَخْرَفَتِ الْيَهُودُ وَالنَّصَارَةِ Just like the Jews and the Christians, they decorated their places of worship. Meaning you will also follow their footsteps. So Ibn Abbas understood this as what? Overly decorating the masajid is what? Following the footsteps of Yehud and Nasara. Because that's what they did. And if you see, there will be churches that are huge, that have sculptures and paintings, huge and very beautiful. But how many people actually go there to worship? Except for Sunday, you will see their worship places empty all week long. Isn't that so? So just like that, our masajid have become. All week long, they're empty. Fridays, they're busy. And that's it. And all the emphasis is on what? Decorating the masjid. If some funds come in, renew this, replace this, update this. Hmm? But any classes for the community? Any beneficial knowledge for the community? Not that much. حَدَّثَنَا عَلِيُّ بْنَ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا ibn بْنُ إِبْرَاهِيمِ بْنَ سَعْدٍ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَي أَبِي عَنْ صَالِحِ بْنِ كَيْسَانَ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا نَافِعٌ أَنَّ عَبْدَ اللَّهِ أَ Ibn Umar رضي الله عنه He informed Nafir That أن المسجد That indeed the masjid Which masjid? Of the Prophet sallallahu الله عليه وسلم كان It was على عهد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم In the time of the Prophet sallallahu الله عليه وسلم It was مبني It was built with باللبن With bricks Not milk That's Laban. This is لبن And this is basically mud bricks mabniyan Is from that okay Bunyan. لبن labina Okay, Bricks So these are basically mud bricks Which are not burnt So basically they're not waterproof They're not that strong Wasakfuhu And its ceiling Was made of Al-Jareed What is Al-Jareed? Branches from? Date palm umuduhu And its pillars were khashabun nakhli, Were trunks, the wood of date palms Meaning the trunks of date palms فَلَمْ فِيهِ أَبُوْ بَكْرٍ شَيْئًا So Abu Bakr رضي الله عنه he did not add anything to the masjid. Meaning after the death of the Prophet when Abu Bakr was the khalifa those two years nothing was added to the masjid it remained as it was. وَزَادَ فِيهِ عُمَرُ But Umar رضي الله عنه when he became the khalifa he added to it. وَبَنَاهُ and he built it على on its original construction what does this mean that Umar he zada he increased in it meaning its size so he expanded the masjid but when he built it he built it on a similar pattern like the Prophet did how that the materials were the same the materials were the same bunyan over here doesn't mean foundations it means similar pattern of construction because bunyan is also masdar right construction so he built it in a similar way that the Prophet ﷺ had built. So وَبَنَاهُ عَلَى بُنْيَانِهِ فِي عَهْدِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى الله عليه وسلم. How? with mud bricks والجريد and date palm branches وَأَعَادَ عُمُودَهُ خَشَبًا And he also placed date palm trunks as pillars. So the same pattern. The only difference was it was rebuilt newer materials same materials but newer and just larger inside. ثُمَّ غَيَّرَهُ عُثْمَان But عُثْمَان عنه, He changed it. How? فَزَادَ فيه, So he added to it كثيرة, A lot. Meaning he enlarged it a great deal. He expanded the masjid a great deal. Why? Because obviously so many people had become Muslim and so many people would come to Medina. And remember masjid was not just a place of salah. It was a place where meetings were held. So many important things were done in the masjid. So this is why he expanded the masjid a great deal. Wabana And he built Jidarahu, Its walls bil Hijara With rocks. What kind of rocks were they? Manqusha. They were engraved. وَالْقَصَّة And the rocks were joined together with what? Plaster. So imagine the walls that were previously built with mud bricks that were not even burnt that were such that if there was too much water that fell on them. Like for example, too much rain. The wall would easily collapse. Now he had walls built of stone and he joined the stones with plaster. And those stones, by the way, they were engraved. Why? So the masjid would also look nice. And he made its pillars من Mankusha. Instead of date palm trunks, he had them made with stones again. And these stones were also Engraved was and the ceiling of the masjid was made with bissaji, with saj, saj, teak. So it's a kind of wood. It has an orangish color, right? Many people they really like teak furniture. So anyway, it's of good quality basically, and I don't know about how durable it is, but I've seen that people who have teak furniture they've had it for a generation, sometime, right, for a very long period of time. So anyway, سَقَفَهُ بِالسَّجِ What do we learn over here? That Abu Bakr al he didn't change the masjid at all. He left it as it was. He didn't expand it. He didn't rebuild it. Nothing. There are different reasons behind that. First of all, he was khalifa only for two years. So perhaps there was no need. And secondly, rebuilding the masjid was not his priority. Why? There were so many other important things going on. There were wars of riddha being fought. So, all of his energy basically was directed towards that. Then Umar, what did he do? He rebuilt the masjid in its original way. Why did he rebuild it? Because there was a need. It had to be expanded. And besides, over time, you know, that structure must have deteriorated. So, this is the reason why he had it built again. Now, anhu, he changed the masjid a lot. How? First of all, Zada Fihi, he. Increased its size A great deal Secondly He had the walls Made with stone Okay Engraved Thirdly Pillars were made With stone as well Which were engraved And plastered And thirdly The ceiling was made With solid wood Why do you think so? Why do you think He changed The materials? He used different materials What was the reason? Hmm? Because they're more durable Rock And solid wood Plaster They're more durable compared to mud and date palm trunks and date palm branches. So they're more durable. What do you think another reason? That we see that by this time the Muslims overall had become very wealthy. Before, they didn't even have enough oil to drink or to use as a lamp. But now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had blessed the Muslims with much wealth and that is what the average people had become accustomed to. So it doesn't make sense that people's houses are very lavish, but when they come to the masjid, they feel uncomfortable there. Why? Because it's not as good as their house. Tell me something. If you're living in this part of the world, you're used to certain kinds of walls and floors, and you go to a different part of the world, where walls are different, Floors are different. Lighting is different. How do you feel? Out of place. Right? And even though you tell yourself, it's okay, I have to be humble. But tell me, isn't it uncomfortable for you? Not because you are very picky, but just because you are used to a different lifestyle. That's it. That's the only difference. It's not that you look down on those people. No, it's just that you have a different lifestyle now and it takes a long time to adjust to that so just like that if the whole city has changed okay people's houses have changed the masjid also needs to be updated according to the customs of that time you know that's what they're comfortable with and this is what you're comfortable with it happens that when people come from there to here they find it very odd that what kind of washrooms you have that you can't throw water on the floor how can you clean the washroom without washing the floor right They cannot understand it And just like that They find it very weird That the walls are made of wood So it just depends on What a person is used to So this is the reason why Uthman he updated the masjid Not because this was israf Or it was because they were too attached to the dunya It was just because that was the need of the time One question Why did he have the stones engraved Beauty. And why? That was the custom of that time again. That was what people had become used to. However, remember, that Uthman was of the Khulafa al Rashidin. He was of the rightly guided Khulafa. So we cannot assume that what he did was wrong. That what he did was munkar. Because this is something he did as a Khalifa. Okay? So as a Khalifa, when he had the Masjid built, and he built it in this way, he had a little bit of, you know, beauty, adornment. But remember that this was not a distraction for the people. Why? Because those stones were engraved. It was not red and yellow and pink and orange color. It was not golden color. It was not silver color. It was just rocks were engraved. Here's a difference. And likewise, these rocks were where? Basically, the walls were built from these stones and the pillars. So it wasn't in front of the people all the time. So this is the reason why it was not a distraction for the people. Even if it was beautiful, it was not a distraction for the people, it was not a fitna for the people. So this is the reason why it was okay. That whenever we feel that something needs to be updated in the masjid, whether it is the carpet or it is the lights or it is the paint, then we should notice these things first of all. Right? Just like in your house, you know immediately when the floor needs to be replaced, right? when the walls need to be repainted. When a certain piece of furniture has to be replaced. Right? We know. We recognize it. And we save money or we do something to improve that. So just like that, the masjid is also our house. It's the house of Allah in fact. So even a masjid needs upgrading. Okay? A masjid also needs upgrading. And when it will be upgraded, it will be updated. Then what should we do? We should also put an hour share in it. Whether it's the chairs or benches or carpet or dividers then it's a need and these things are not you know cheap, they are quite costly and the thing is that because masjid is a place which is heavily used this is why there is a need to constantly you know replace them, that because it's a place where people worship and the angels also they make dua for the worshippers smell is something that bothers people and it also bothers the angels so if the carpet is smelling then it shows that it needs to be Replaced inshallah, right? And this is something that mashallah some of the people they recognized and they themselves came forward and they pitched in their share in this, right? Inshallah, you will see very soon. So, be those who are taking you know initiative, inshallah. And it doesn't mean that you have to spend thousands of dollars, you don't have to spend thousands of dollars, whatever that you can. Remember when the driveway outside had to be rebuilt. People were informed, and subhanAllah, people put in their share. When the fans had to be put up in the month of Ramadan, just one announcement was made, and we had more than necessary. And with the surplus, more additions were added to the masjid to make the masjid more comfortable for the people. Right? So remember that if we put any of our share in this, this is going to benefit who? Us in return. And any person who worships Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala over there. When they will worship easily, inshallah, we will also have a share of it. That if we see that the carpets are getting dirty or the walls are getting dirty, that's actually a good sign. Because that means that the masjid is actually being used. It's heavily populated. Because there may be masjids which are very beautiful and the carpets have not been changed for years. It's perhaps because they're not used as often. That even that we don't see the capacity in ourselves to do something alone, we can encourage other people. We can do something with our own hands to earn even a little bit of money to contribute to it, to start it. And inshallah, others will follow too. And remember the ayah of the Quran that there is no good in many of their najwa except for man amara bi sadaqatin right? islah, right? So this is something that we should talk about in our private conversations, encouraging one another to participate in these ways. And recently I heard a story in one of the lectures of this woman who was very poor and she had lots of children. So every day she would have to make bread for them. And for each child she would make one bread, chapati, right? So what she would do is that as she would make the, the balls, right? She would take out a little bit from each. Just a little bit from each. And out of those 8 or 10 balls that she had made, if she would take out a little bit, she was able to make an extra one. Why? So that she could give sadaq from everyone. That, okay, if I have just enough dough to make bread for my children, I cannot afford more for others. Let me just take a little bit from each child's share. So what if he has one more less? So what if he has two bites less? What's the big deal? But with that, we can make an extra piece of bread and give it to somebody else. Yes. the on behalf of everybody. So we don't need to really empty out our bank accounts because this is what we think we have to do. From your lunch money even, if you control yourself and don't buy yourself pizza one day, Okay. don't buy yourself one samosa. You want to buy two samosas, just take one samosa. Save that money. Put it away. Gradually, 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 inshallah, you'll have something to contribute with. That whoever guides people to that which is good, then he's as though he has done it. That the date palm has been compared to the believer. And we see over here that how every part of the date palm is used to build the masjid. From the trunks to the branches, right? And the fruit is eaten so every part of it is useful and just like that the believer is also beneficial everywhere that he goes Subhanak bihamdik nashadwa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilaik Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh